In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 383. That's right. We are talking about the uh, latest issue of uh, Black... Actually, you know what? We're talking about a pop. Because it just was announced yesterday that this is a thing. And holy crap, I had to interrupt. And we had to do it right this second. Because (laughs) Funko is releasing an Alan Scott as Green Lantern, as in Golden Age Green Lantern, and not Earth 2, or whatever else version of Alan Scott there's ever been in the multiverse. We're talking 1940s Golden Age original Green Lantern costume and design in Funko Pop form, and it comes out next year, which is the 80th anniversary of Green Lantern, and they're freaking doing it. It's going to be a Funko Specialty Series pop, and it's projected for the, Mark was saying earlier, first quarter of 2020, a couple of places online saying February 29th, 2020. Um, But, yeah, it looks awesome. Yeah, it looks, it's, 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 it's very impressive. Uh, Al, I mean, Alan Scott is not as important to me as he is to Chad, but it is a cool pop. So I made sure I made sure I I pre-ordered one of those. Uh, even if I decide ultimately I'm not going to keep Alan Scott, I know Chad's planning on hoarding a thousand of them for his own his own pur- his own purposes, including that means to be giving giving them out. So, but he plans since I know he's getting multiples and multiples and certain and we know Big Bad Toy Store is limiting you to one per household doesn't mean that other places are going to do the same. So it does help to have at least at least there's another one at least there's another one for you, Chad. <laughs> For sure. So, um, yeah, I, it, I just, I just think it looks incredible. Uh, I was trying to find problems with it, you know, and and I, I just, I couldn't. Um, yeah, um, it's uh, the rings on the correct hand. Uh, the lantern looks right. The design looks right. The only problem I can possibly see, and I brought this up to Mark, is this is one of those floating pops. And by that, I mean it's got a clear stand that's going to be coming out of his back so that he's like kind of floating up in the air holding his lantern. Yeah, just go look up the pop. You'll see it. There's a similar pop like that. Uh, the Venom pop that came in the Marvel Collector Core box also had a similar stand. I could never get that damn stand to fit and stay in the pop. 
So that could be a concern, but you know, for the most part, I'm going to be keeping mine uh, in the box, except for the one I'm going to be keeping uh, at my desk at work uh, out of box. Um, Mark is correct. I am getting multiples of these, um, at least five, one to keep in the box, one to keep in the box and potentially get signed as in like if there is ever an actor for Alan Scott or a popular voice actor or something like that. Um, uh, and all, uh, one for the uh, office out of box and then two at the very least two to give away, maybe one for like a show giveaway for listeners and one for like a Twitter giveaway or something, but at least two to give away. So I'm getting five of these, but um Five, five right now, Chad. Come on, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> soon yeah. to go up. <laughs> so that's cool. But uh, speaking of speaking of uh, Alan Scott uh, and everything, you guys uh, know she's been an, a guest on the show in the past. Uh, Jackie Nodell, who is the granddaughter of creator of Green Lantern, Martin Nodell. Uh, they the day before uh, Alan Scott was announced. Uh, so the day before yesterday, as we record this. They just announced that they had their first child. Her and her husband, Jim, uh, just had their first child. Um, so uh, uh, Amelia June uh, is uh, now in the world, born on the 3rd of December. So, Congratulations, that, Jackie. That's right. Uh, I don't know if she regularly listens or whatever, but I know a lot of people are like Jackie and you know the family and stuff like that. So... There is a, another of Nodell bloodline <laughs> in the world. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd bring that up since we were on the topic of Alan Scott. Um, one thing I thought was weird, uh, I'm on the Toy Wiz website. I'm not familiar with Toy Wiz. Um, <laughs> that just sounds funny. I'm on, I'm on Toy Wiz, and I've also seen this in other places. I just don't obviously have the examples in front of me. Some sometimes like when a product is put out, they put out these little solicit texts, right? Like a product description. And some people like to get cutesy with them. Everybody who's getting cutesy with it is in is posting the lantern oath, and they're posting the wrong lantern oath. <laughs> they're posting the in brightest day and blackest night. No, 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 no. The original oath was, and I shall shed my light over dark evil, for dark things cannot stand the light, the light of the Green Lantern. Now, yes, they did change it. For everybody out there who thinks that Hal's oath, the Silver Age oath, was first released and is the one that's primarily associated with Hal, that 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 didn't come – like it's not Hal's. The oath came before Hal did. It it was a there was they used a different oath for Alan. His oath ended up changing. So technically, using the silver the quote unquote silver age oath for Alan is correct. But I mean, if you're gonna go like you know first appearance of Green Lantern, origins of Green Lantern, Alan Scott, you might as well just use his original oath. Like that's that's sort of like I sort of associate oaths to to eras. Like if you were to give me a whole bunch of lantern oaths from the different members of the different uh, of the core, I would say we're probably talking about the Bronze Age, you know, because there was a whole lot of that happening, a whole lot of core stuff happening in the Bronze Age. You give me a, a different lantern core, like Red Lanterns, Blue Lanterns, I think the Modern Age. You give me Alan Scott's oath, I think the Golden Age. You give me Hal's oath, I think the Silver Age. Like the, that's just how it works. I just they're not technically incorrect 
but it's driving me nuts that they're not using the OG oath. <laughs> no, it's sloppy. It, I mean, on some levels it is. We know, and it looks like this was a common thread, obviously. some Somebody somebody wrote up this description, and, and everybody else just ran with it. You know, it's just something that, oh, this is the description for the product, and everybody said, okay. So, so it's Green Lantern. That's the Green Lantern oath. It's like, yeah, but... <laughs> Hey, but we like, have to mention it. Uh, I was I was gonna like start a campaign. Like, how many signatures do we have to get online for Funko to make an Alan Scott uh, Lantern uh, uh, pop at the very least for the 80th anniversary of Green Lantern? Because they're going all out with all these damn Batman pops for Batman's 80th anniversary. They did a couple of Superman related stuff for Superman's 80th anniversary. I was like, they better freaking do one for Green Lantern's 80th anniversary, or I'm gonna be pissed. And at the very least, and this is a pop that comes out in February, at the very least, we're getting an Alan Scott pop in 2020. So I'm happy there. I'm kind of hoping, and I know that this may be crazy, I'm kind of hoping they do like another version of Alan Scott, but in a two-pack with Solomon Grundy. I don't know why I think two-pack. I mean, it's obviously... You can obviously just do a Solomon Grundy pop, but I I don't know why. But for some reason, I want to I want a two pack. I could see I could see why they could why that could happen. I could certainly see more why you'd want it to happen. We'll see we'll see how they go. Uh, may maybe also because the TV show is coming that maybe will maybe there'll be more of an incentive for Funko to make more Green Lantern pops. Just generally speaking in 2020 and going into 2021 so but let's let's keep our let's keep our fingers crossed at least they'll be considering all the 8,000 things they make pops for these days that here is something that if they go down the green lantern road which yes we know there have been some green lantern pops already but there just haven't been all all that many that maybe it opens the door for just just opens that door for a lot of other characters that we that could be really awesome in in pop form again just just it's it's kind of it's kind of sad just thinking about if funko was like you and i talked about earlier if funko was around like in 2009 when blackest night came out just imagine the shit ton of of blackest night pops we would have gotten yeah so many pops Alright, um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it, it's, it's, I'm just so excited. Like, I, I leapt up out of my chair and made a noise at work and everything, and yeah, I immediately took to Twitter and, and, and Facebook and told Mark, and I was just, man, I was so excited. Uh, I'm just, can't wait, but we got, we got a lot of stuff to talk about before we even get to the issue, so we'll just, uh, end it there and, yeah, go online, try and pre-order this somewhere. You're not going to probably be able to pre-order multiple of them. If you want multiple like I do, you'll probably have to pre-order at multiple places. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's out there. It's available for, for pre-order from a lot of different spots. So go forth because the only way any company knows that to keep doing more of something is if you buy it. Vote with your wallets. Go buy all the damn Alan Scott Pops. Plus, one never knows how many are going to be available for pre-order, especially because these are the specialty series. So they're they're, they're not as they're not as available regularly. You know, they're not as plentiful and accessible from as many places as regular pops are, which is probably why Big Bad is limiting them to just one per household. 
it's also interesting. I mean, I told, I mentioned this to Chad too that you know, I, and it's possible. It's possible that Entertainment Earth maybe had them listed a little bit earlier, or they just had a much. Well, there's multiple possibilities. They could have had a fewer amount of pre-orders. You know, they were putting a fewer amount of, from a quantity perspective, they made available for pre-orders, or they just they're because they're so popular, they could have had a good amount and people just blew out of them. But they are sold. That you cannot pre-order Alan Scott on Entertainment Earth. He's already gone. So that was one of the things I noticed uh, once we started – once Chad showed it to me, then I checked. And, yeah, it was already – it's interesting. It was already on Big Bad. It just – but Big Bad was a little slow on the draw and sending out the email. So it probably was over – it might have been an hour to an hour and a half after I had already looked and he and I had talked about it that I got the email from Big Bad saying, oh – pushing that the Alan Scott thing was available for pre-order, which I give them credit for, that they are really good at when Whenever something new just, you know, pop, no pun intended, pops up, uh, it's real, they, they're really quick in getting it. If Basically, if you see a new pop available during the day, whether you're on Facebook or somewhere, you see them start pushing something on some site, and, and this is brand new, but the same day, Big Bad Toy Store is going to have it, and they're going to be putting out an email about it. So I think that that's that's pretty cool. Like the, the like the cap with you know the cap with Mjolnir and everything with the lightning coming out and everything like that. That once the first first pictures of that hit, and then probably within probably within like 30 minutes that uh they were already available on the email went out and or they were already available for order. So they are pretty good when it comes to that. For sure. All right. What's next? Well, this is something that's kind of – well, it's not – it makes sense based on how we recorded and when this news came out that that we never actually did talk about this, so you posted it. And it, it it's more of a comical thing to me than anything. But the fact that shortly after they announced uh, the uh, – what HBO Max, Green Lantern show, that there also was you know DC Warner Brothers, especially Warner Brothers essentially made – supposedly made it clear – or they made it clear that supposedly that's probably the better way to put it that Green Lantern, as in the Green Lantern movie, is still a high, is still a priority to them, and that Jeff Johns is still supposed. Now they mean by the end of this year, right? Jeff Johns was supposed to be delivering a script. Yes. They said at the end of the year. Uh, that, that that only took over a year since he was. We know he was working on the script. What at the end of last year, right? That's when his company. That's when it, what, Ghost, whatever it was, that first came out, or whenever it was, or what. His website or whatever. I think it was at, at, towards the end of last year. But either way, they're making it clear that, that you know Jeff Johns is supposed to, is supposed to be submitting a script by the end of this year, and the Green Lantern movie is still a priority. The TV show has not shot that down, which I think we knew it didn't shoot it down because we I think a lot of us think that the, that the TV show is kind of being the testing grounds to see if that the interest is there. And if it is, then the movie will then the movie will go forward and/or probably exist along with the TV show. And if the and if the TV show goes into the toilet, that probably will mean the movie won't see the light of day, regardless. But as we all know, I, I it's it's a positive thing on one level, even though of course originally we know this uh, 2020 was supposed to be the year the Green Lantern movie was going to come out. That was the year that they had that release date for uh, June. Whoops, excuse me, June was supposed to be the release date for, for that movie. And needless to say, well, that's not happening. And there's no guarantee that no matter how – no matter what that script looks like, even if they like 
the idea of in the script, even if they like 90% of it, by the time it gets polished, you have no idea when this when this movie is actually going to be going to production or when they're going to go cat because they haven't even. So I I I'm still not overly. That doesn't make me feel any, that much more enthusiastic or confident that we're getting this movie. I don't know about you, but I guess it's better than saying, "Oh yeah, it's been shit canned." So certainly it's that. But I think that uh, it's a little. I guess it's a little light at the end of the tunnel. But what we're going to have to see, obviously in the next few months we're going to know more if, if the script actually gets turned in. We have to find out what they think of the script. Uh, you know, If they absolutely hate the script and, and you can take it, then that's going to probably cost you at least another year plus before the, before they even – you know, that's going to probably be at least a year delay before they're back in the same position where like hopefully the script is good. Now we can start working on getting a director and getting a cast and yada, yada. We'll see. I – we know, unfortunately, if anything, Jeff Johns' reputation of being on time for things has really – that's taken a big hit. And again – Have we gotten Doomsday Clock number 12 yet? No, but it is supposed to be this month. It is supposed to be December, which will make it only, what, what a little over two years for a 12-issue series. Uh, Jesus, that's that's a debacle for something that was supposed to be monthly at first. And here we are. It's going to take over two years to get 12 issues of a series, which is supposed to have ramifications for the DCU, and who knows whether it actually will mean anything. Really bodes well for uh, – if you can't get 12 issues of a comic out, good job getting that movie out, Jeff. We really expect that by the end of the year. But the good, but, but the good uh, news is he's not directing it. <laughs> and we also don't know – and we also don't know if he's going to be – he may only be submitting the first draft, and depending how much they like it, then they may just turn it over to somebody else to polish. And if they hate it, obviously, then Jeff John, the odds of Jeff Johns being involved in any more in, in the scripting process for this movie goes out the window. It would be really horrible for multiple – it would be – well, for some Jeff Johns haters, it wouldn't be horrible. But it wouldn't speak much for Jeff Johns' – who's – I think who, who's kind of – he's definitely been on the downward spiral lately as far as overall – Reputation or what he's been producing, but it wouldn't it wouldn't say much if the one thing you think Jeff Johns could you could you could probably feel confident that he could do would be at least to write a halfway decent Green Lantern script based on everything that he wrote. It's not like he doesn't have a core a core in his head of material that he used or he could mine to put together some kind of origin movies. Even assuming they're going to go with uh, the the Hal and. Gun- John thing together still that's still the basic concept that they're using you think that you don't you think he could turn it out turn in something that at least would be if at the absolute worst building blocks a steady a solid blueprint but we'll, we'll see I I I have still have some confidence in Jeff Johns I think it was a bad sign that we know he had he had a role in altering the script for the 2011 movie and that turned into a friggin debacle even though it doesn't mean that was all Jeff Johns turning it into a debacle. And we all we also know that I just went compl- I went completely blank where I was going with Jeff. Oh, that he was involved that he and Ben Affleck wrote that took did the first run at the Batman script, which supposedly they hated. <laughs> which is another bad sign. I mean, uh, even if you know, Affleck who is supposed to be I think at least a decent writer, you you would think that at least Jeff Johns and him working together could turn in something. And if they if it's true they really hated their idea or their take on it, that's not a good sign either. I know Jeff Johns isn't as wrapped up in Batman lore and everything as, as he is with Green Lantern lore. But still, I mean he he 
you know, Jeff Johns does for a, for a certain period of time. He had his pulse on him based, you know, certainly on everything that was going on in D.C. because of the power that he had. So mm-hmm. I think it's I'm trying to be op- I'm trying to be optimistic. I have less faith in Jeff Johns now because of the stumbles that he's had. And yes, he's had some successes because he at least was involved on some level in you know as a producer with what both Shazam and with Wonder Woman. He was involved. But we also don't know how much, how actively he was involved in those. Uh, producer credits are always shaky. Sometimes they mean a lot. Sometimes they mean nothing. I know it's usually exec, you know, being an, especially being an executive producer. If you're an executive producer on the movie, that could mean absolutely nothing. That could mean that could be completely ceremonial, or it could actually mean that you you participated to, and had some some role. Uh, if you were the actual true producer of the movie, that's what it says. You know, produced by that's that. You know, then it tends to imply you had more of an active role. But still, uh, so I, I don't know. I I want I want to believe. I I just when you first posted that, I just kind of laughed at it to myself because it's like oh yeah, it's like everything else. It's like we believe it when we'll see it. It's like it, it could be nothing more than them telling us oh yeah, Ben Affleck's still Batman, even though supposedly they knew for like a half a year or a year before it was officially announced that he wasn't. <laughs> they just hadn't chosen to announce he was leaving yet. So, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wish I could be more... I mean, I, it, it, all kidding aside, it is good news that they... they and maybe... But may, I was going to say, it's good news that they... Fit, felt compelled to announce something but then again they might have felt pressure to because people were just assuming that oh they're doing the tv show that must mean the movie's dead does that mean the movie's dead so they could have been bombarded with that basic question or or train of thought and they felt they needed to at least for just to put the fires out temporarily come out and say something about it address the issue even if what you're there even if what they're saying isn't really true or there really is no difference between uh, with their interest today than there was yesterday. It's just the fact that they feel compelled to say something to get people to stop talking about it for now. But let's, you know, we can keep our fingers crossed at least. Uh, let's just hope the damn TV show is good. <laughs> uh, all right, so Star Wars. Star Wars. I'll read the. I'll, I just cut and pasted this quote, so I'll I'll read the quote since you since you were lucky enough to do the uh, Elizabeth Banks quote. So the, well, that, this quote is this quote is well. I guess I was gonna say no. Let's not even preface it. This this quote, depending on one's from a certain point of view, this quote is just equally as stupid and equally as offensive, depending on how people want to interpret things. Uh. So we're a little late on this because, again, with the Q&A episode and me being away on vacation, we missed – we didn't have an opportunity to reply to – or deal with some of these things before. Uh, but Kathleen Kennedy made a quote in an interview, and the quote essentially was – she was – I guess in her own mind's eye, she was trying to explain why making Star Wars movies are so difficult. So the quote pretty much was, every one of these movies is a particularly hard nut to crack. There's no source material. We don't have comic books. We don't have 800-page novels. We don't have anything other than passionate storytellers who get together and talk about what the next next iteration might be. And I think what – playing devil's advocate, doing what I do best, I think what she was trying to say was there is no one – there is no like – 
literal Star Wars Bible or, or, or a consensus source material to go to, something where all these stories originated from. So it's not like you have the Lord of the Rings three books, and that's where the story, that's where that whole thing began. And even if you did spinoffs and other things from Lord of the Rings, not counting the Hobbit, that you did like th- things following it. That's all, you know. That it's not. You don't have a. You have different tales, and you have other things you can mine. But it's not like this. You had one original source material to go to. That was a guiding force, kind of like how Game of Thrones is. So even though they obviously we know the books. Didn't keep pace with the show, but game. But the original source material was all from George R. R. Martin's books, and that's where the whole the show came from. So I think that's what she was trying to say. There was no, there's not. It's not like Star Wars was like a nine novel series where it's like, oh yes, this is what has to happen, and we know what has to happen. We just have to adapt it. But of course, it just reeks of being typical Kathleen Kennedy and being tone deaf which is the which is the ultimate crime that she commits here in my opinion is being tone deaf and we're not being able to realize how this is going to play especially when there's so many people that are still unhappy about what they did to the previous expanded universe that she's basically flipping the bird and making it sound like oh we don't have anything we could pull ideas from which is number one garbage because they already have pulled ideas from the expanded universe that no longer exists. They have brought some characters in, like Thrawn and other characters. They have brought from previous continuity and brought in, and we're probably going to get some of that in, Ry- in Rise of Skywalker too. But the whole concept that, oh yeah, we have nothing we can choose from. We have nothing we can go to. It's like, obviously that's blatantly a moronic statement to make because there was the whole, there was the old, there have been tons of Star Wars comic books going back to the original Marvel comic books to all the Dark Horse stuff to now back to Marvel. To even though now to be to be fair, I think they use they they use most of the Marvel stuff now to fill in gaps, which is somewhat annoying. Things that you things they don't bother to tell you, or they don't think it's important to tell you in the movies. It's like let's let's do it in a comic book, or that's what some of the novels exist for now. Let's fill in the gaps. But they have all the expanded universe material, all those novels starting from going back to the original Thrawn, the original Thrawn. Uh, uh, trilogy the Timothy Zahn books going all the way forward till they scrapped the you know all they have all that material they could mine so to make it sound like there's no we have no idea you know there's no ideas we can borrow from that just comes out inherently sounding stupid and, and, and arrogant and and it's a being it's like I said I think I know what the point she was trying to make but it's also one of those things that's like man sometimes you just and we said this with the Elizabeth Banks stuff Sometimes you just really, even if you feel that some of the stuff, you really need to, you need to know your audience and need to sometimes just because, just because you can do something or say something doesn't mean you should. And she has to know, or she should, and if not, she's that tone deaf. She has to know how how generally unpopular she is with a huge percentage of the fan base, how generally unhappy a large percentage of the fan base is to begin with. Along with the fact that so many people, a percentage, a large percentage of the fan base didn't like the way that. They just swept everything under away and said, "Oh, this is all legend stuff now," which means it might still be continuity. But any given moment, well, if we write something that contradicts it, guess what? That means it's not continuity anymore. And it just kind of that just kind of like reopened the wound. Also, it didn't need to be reopened, and it just it's just. And plus, it looks like you kind of make an excuse to why it's so difficult to come up with ideas. It's like have have a plan for three movies before you start making the first one. You know, know where it's going. That kind of would help. So, go ahead, Chad. Your turn. <laughs> yeah, I, 
We, first of all, I mean, I, I feel like I have to re, re up on the statement anytime we talk about Star Wars. It's not like I have, as you know, compared to you or Ryan or somebody, it's not like I have much passion behind the franchise or whatever. Although I did read some spoilers online um, about this next movie. And if that those spoilers turn out to be true, um, God, people are going to be furious. Let, let, uh, let's talk before we talk, before we hang up. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Yes, I, I bet uh, you. I bet you. I know which one of the ones in particular you're talking about. My brother. My brother. I'm. I'm. I'm actively not going to go see the movie with my brother-in-law because he's just going to ruin the whole thing for me. I mean, not that I won't myself be mad, but still, uh, <laughs> I just don't want his like whole rant to just eat away at my night. But anyways. Um, on topic, the it irrit it was irritating. Like the fact that it irritated me that she said that, uh, and I'm not as big of a Star Wars fan as you guys. I can only imagine what the actual fans were feeling and thinking because it just seems it just. I mean, if you're gonna boil it down, I'm not gonna go in as long into it as you did. But like, if you're gonna boil it down to something, it, it was just straight up ignorant for her to say that. And I, and I knew it had to bother you because you brought it because you posted it to me. I mean, I, I had already seen the quote, but I mean, so I, I already had kind of. But the fact that the fact that you brought it to my attention and you made it clear that it's like, what the, what the hell is she talking about? It's like, is she is she that friggin nuts or how, or ignorant or of what's going on and everything else? It's like, uh, yeah, the fact you're I think that's true. The fact that if it if it resonated with you that way, then you can we can just imagine how a lot of people now for some people, the and some people – for some people right now, honestly, they're probably just so numb that it's really not going to take that much – it, it would take something serious to get a reaction out of them, which might be Rise of Skywalker. But just – but some of the stuff is just par for the course. It's like, oh my god. It's like it, – for some people, it's just – it's probably just – this is yet another nail in the coffin or another reason why this woman should never have really been in – the position that she was put in not because she can't actually produce a movie because she's already proven that as from as a hands-on being involved in the actual production of a movie she can do that that's what that's what her claim to fame is that's what her that's what her specialty is but being an idea person and and being in and being in touch with the pulse of what that property is about and that and that's kind of a what this being, you know, the CEO or the president of Lucasfilm has to have been. That's that's where either, in all honesty, either she really bamboozled George Lucas, or she or she's real, or he just really misread her and what and and what her intentions were. Because just because, I mean, it's not like she hasn't done anything good. She has done some some stuff, but she's been, but. She's done a lot of bad and questionable things, and she's been tone deaf a lot about things. And it just, that's and I've said this before. It just makes me re I really wish I could just get inside George Lucas's head just to know what he really would really thinks about all this shit, about everything everything that's gone down since you know in since Disney has taken over. How he feels really about all three of these movies, and does he has he has he gotten to the point where he where he absolutely regrets selling, or he, or he at the very least regrets putting her in charge, since it was his call to put her in charge when, you know, that was part of the deal, at least originally, that she was going to be running the company, and that, so, I, I don't know, I, I, 
We're not, and yes, we're not going to talk about, you know, we're not going to talk about any of the rumors or the spoilers or leaks on this. Uh, that we'll have plenty of time to talk about all of that post-release, which amazingly is what like two weeks away now. I still haven't bought tickets. I don't think you're the only one, and that's why. Then, and once again, that's why pre, that's why pre-sales and all that buzz means jack. And even though this would be a natural segue from my Regal thing, I'm going to hold off one more week on that because it's not overly time-sensitive. We'll do it next week because there's been stuff about the Regal Unlimited plan I've wanted to talk about since basically the first week in November. Uh, so, But, it's again, it's not time-sensitive. It's just conceptually about how it works. So I will do that on next episode. But it's – pre-sales don't mean all that much. People just went out. Oh, these are selling out. They're, it's fast, selling faster than this and selling faster than that. I checked – I checked like a week ago. I looked at Star Wars, and for like the seven and the seven thirty at the, at the biggest theater in, in, near me, in, at Gallery in Poughkeepsie, and ha- like half the theaters for the seven and the seven thirty were sold out. Now, yes, it's most of the good part of the theater, the back part of the theater, not the up, you know, not the uh, not not the front. But still, the point is, you probably have a, and that, those are the two biggest theaters, and you had at that time at least half the theater. Both of those theaters were still open, so. The, it's, it'll be a really bad sign if we're like two days out from this movie opening and not like not one or two showings on Thursday night are already sold out. I mean that would be bad. I don't – and it's actually well, – naturally – you know, this is naturally going to segue into the next thing we're talking about related to Star Wars. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't think this movie is going to have a – it's going to do well on opening weekend, but I don't think it's going to be – it's not going to be anything to shake a stick at based on – a lot of the recent blockbusters we've seen. And I think a lot of that has to do with the overall feeling of the fan base. Obviously, Last Jedi Fallout too, But the leaks and the rumors, and we're not going to go into details about it. People, The fact that there – I think we have talked about this. The fact that there's so many out there. The fact that – and we know that they're supposed to be you know reworking the movie, and they've done a lot of reshoots, and, and who the hell knows how – what version of the movie we're actually going to see versus all the stuff that was shot and how it was put together at one point. But the reality is the mere fact that for like over half, almost half a year probably, you could go out there and find, whether it's true or not, an entire breakdown of what this whole movie is. You know, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. That's never happened with a Star Wars movie before. You've never had this kind of leaking coming out. And there's got to be a reason for it, and I don't buy that it's oh it's misdirection on purpose because it makes no sense because everybody almost everybody who hears these leaks are disgusted by them. They go oh my god this sounds like a train wreck. So it would be it would be shooting yourself in the foot to do that to try to say oh we're gonna fool people because you're just you're making it sound worse. That's not gonna help your expectation level for this movie. I just think there's just a lot of dissatisfaction going on in Lucasfilm that people are that there's a that there's people who are more willing to leak stuff and they don't care because they just think this this thing is being driven into a ditch. Um, speaking of which, uh, and we can still t- if you still wanted to add more about Kathleen Kennedy, we can. Uh, no. Let's talk about the box office projections. I think the original box office, the, the initial box office projections, were somewhere between I think 185 and 250. Dean, I think, and the last ones that came out dropped it down from one to 175 to 200. Uh, putting it in perspective, I believe I, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe Last Jedi opened up to like around 225. So even if so, if this range turned out to be accurate, and even if it did the higher end, that still means it's going to open less than Last Jedi. 
And that's not what should be happening based on the history of these trilogies, that the middle part always does worse financially, that the first and the third, and oftentimes the third makes more money than the first. But either way, the first and the third are the big money makers, the second one, which makes sense because it's not establishing the story nor is it resolving it. But if this is accurate, if this is accurate then that means that this movie is going to open less. And now you couple, you factor in if even if 30% of the the leaks and the spoilers about this movie are accurate, the odds are, in my opinion, that I, you're going to have a huge percentage of the fan base that's going to hate this movie. That's if only like 30% of what we hear is true. So you can just imagine if it turns out we're talking like 70, 80% of the stuff is actually true. That if it has a relatively – for a Star Wars movie, considering what Force Awakens did – Considering even what Last Jedi did, that if this movie has a relatively soft opening for a Star Wars movie, that if the if the rumors are true and the word of mouth is bad, that you yeah this could this I mean it's certainly going to make money. This is not going you know this is not going to be solo a Star Wars story. It's going to between this and over in foreign box office, it's going to make money. Even though you know you can't even though Star Wars has the big problem that you can't count on China to save it because Star Wars is not a big Chinese property. They don't have because star the original movies were never released in China when they came out and everything else. So there isn't that generational fan base of Star Wars in China. So there isn't that there isn't that fail safe that usually can potentially save action movies, even if it tanks, you know, relatively or completely tanks domestically in the U.S. You still have China that can sometimes save a movie all by itself. That's very, very, very unlikely to happen with Star Wars. So this movie will make money, but it could make – if everything went wrong, it could make a significantly less amount of money than even Last Jedi. And then then what? Then how do you go forward? Luckily for them, they do have the, they do have the Mandalorian, which everybody seems to love at this point. I haven't seen it yet, but soon enough uh, – so I think The Mandalorian helps offset a little bit of that, and there seems to be a lot of interest in the TV shows. You have the, the Cassian Andor things coming at some point. You have the Obi-Wan show coming. I think there's, room, there's rumors of, uh, of – I think there's rumors of both a Darth Maul and potentially a Darth Bane show at some point coming down the road. So t- it, would, it would be somewhat ironic that, that TV could be what helps keep this Star Wars in, afloat and keeps the interest alive in it. But where they go, where they go next with the movies, especially with uh, uh, Benioff and Weiss out, if this movie does not do well, and we have always acknowledged this movie's had a, this movie would be a tough sell even if Abrams turned in, turned in a Godfather two like epic, because of all the stuff he had to to stick the landing for nine movies, let alone three movies where the second movie didn't give a crap about finishing a, taking the story anywhere. That's a problem. He he. He was he was always going to be in a tough spot. Now, don't get, that doesn't mean that if the movie turns out to be a steaming pile that he gets a pass because clearly you could make a better – if it's that bad, everyone's going to say, well, you could have made a better movie than this. We'll see. I, we'll probably get more box office predictions or projections probably maybe towards the end of next week, I would guess. If not, we'll have to get something probably the beginning of the week that it comes out, and we'll be curious to see if the, if the, where they stand. I, I well, I mean, is it? Uh, you're more in this world than I am. Is won't it be telling if they embargo the reviews or whatever? Well, I think technically speaking, they already. I think. I think that. I'm. I don't remember. I read this somewhere, but I don't remember verbatim what it is. But I think it's already listed when 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 the embargoes for this. It's not like it's already 
clear when the embargo is left. I think like the Tuesday before the movie comes out, either the social media embargo lifts or the overall review embargo lifts. So I think with I think within before before the Thursday that it opens, I think all those embargoes are gone. So we're going to have reviews and we're going to have social media comp before that. Now I also think if what I read if I, what I remember is true, I think this movie is supposed to open in Japan a week before it opens here. So if that's really the case, then this is pro or con. If that's really true, then the odds are we're going to for the people that want to know that we're going to know whether those how how accurate those leaks and those spoilers were if the movie really opens in Japan the odds of the, the of the confirmation or non-confirmation of those leaks not being almost instantaneous within like a day or so the odds are pretty remote that's not going to happen so that could also have influence on on the interest in, in the movie too if it become if more and more evidence and some and some people have pointed out based on advertising which again i i I don't know what's going on with Lucasfilm and even more Disney with their, with their advertising, but it seems like they've really they've really gone off the rails. I think with advertising, they just bombard you with more and more shit, and they show you way more. And now maybe they feel honestly, maybe because of their own tracking numbers, maybe with Star with this movie, there's an exception to this rule because they think they have to show you stuff because they are concerned about either where the numbers are trending or because of all the leaks that they they need they feel like they need to put something out. That looks more interesting to people to draw them in. So maybe there's you know there's an asterisk on this why they are doing this. But you just, but we know this has been their pattern for years with certainly Marvel movies in which they just bombarded you with stuff when seemingly they don't need to. Sometimes it helps. Or sometimes it doesn't hurt. I don't know if it ever helps. Like they were getting close to doing that with. I mean, Endgame was close to perfect, but but they started showing more footage than they needed to towards the end of Endgame. But people were so stoked for Endgame it didn't hurt. But I think we've, I think you and I kind of were in consensus that we thought Ultron was a movie that they marked that they they overshowed their hand and they they showed more than they needed with Ultron. I I don't know what's going on with their, with their marketing, but but some people pointed out that some of the things that have been in the recent TV ads and everything else seemingly confirm some of the leaks about different things that images that have shown up there. Uh, we're gonna see. This is gonna be. This is going to be fast. I think, from a box office perspective, I sadly, I this that's my my greatest interest in this movie is seeing how, what what Abrams puts out there and seeing how people react to it, how the box office is going to be and the ramifications thereof. I have really no interest. I have no vested interest other than like many other Star Wars fans. This is going to be the end of the Star Wars saga as we know it, supposedly. No, we've heard that before, but you know what I, you know what I mean. That this is going to be the end of the pro, of the episodic Star Wars Skywalker saga that we've that we've come to know Star Wars as predominantly, just to see how they're going to wrap it up. But is my but do I think the movie's going to be particularly good? No. Am I over? Am I really concerned about what I've heard? Yes. Am I really concerned about what the title's supposed to mean? Yes. All these things. But I'm more interested to see how it's going to play and whether this is going to you know whether. Whether Abrams surprises us, whether it's as bad as it sounds, whether it's somewhere in between, and how, and, and even if it's better than it sounds, how are the, how's the fan base as a whole going to take it? And I'm just and what the, I'm just I'm fascinated by it. that's been my interest in this movie all along. This I've said this before, kind of like we jokingly we and it came up again with that with that question during the Q and A about 
This not this is not my Star Wars. This is not my trilogy. Some people have felt that way about the prequels. I think the prequels have been redeemed to a large extent by looking at what, what we've gotten to this. Because flaws and all, at least the prequel had a story to tell, and they knew where it was going with it. Did it did that? That doesn't mean it was perfect. It doesn't mean Lucas didn't make mistakes narratively, narratively in my opinion, in telling the story. But he knew where it was going, and there was a basic point from A to A to you know A to B to C. I think Abrams had a plan. I think Ryan Johnson shot it to hell, and Kathleen Kennedy didn't care. And now he's got to pick up the pieces. So, and I just don't think I don't know. I don't know what the story is about ultimately. So I, I'm not. This is not my trilogy, but I'm hoping it's good because I, I because I think it's gonna it's gonna sour the entire thing. It's gonna make it's gonna hurt the other six episodes, let alone episode seven, which most people like. It's gonna hurt them all the Star Wars movies people like. If if the last two especially stink, and if this one had gives you a very unsatisfying ending, and so so, I guess the final quick thing about Star Wars, because we don't want to dominate this, uh, but Star Wars, oh, there's been a lot of stuff building up. That again, we're playing catch up. The Rise of the Resistance ride, as as of us recording this, uh, open today officially in Disney World. Um, they were doing press, you know, press rides and testing for it yesterday, which is interesting. That I guess even yesterday they were having problems with the ride breaking down. But conveniently enough, the reporters didn't seem to talk about that all that much, which tells you again all you need to know about journalism these days. It's like, eh, we're not going to leave out that kind of important information. That hey, we're do- they're doing like basically like a soft opening here the day before, and the ride is already breaking down. And the ride supposedly broke. Not supposedly the ride did break down this morning. Shortly after they let people in early, in the, you know, they let people in into the park early because they usually do that on. Despite the fact the park, I think, was technically not supposed to open to eight, people were lined up so early. I think somewhere like around five thirty or six, five thirty, I think they started letting people actually in because they were lined up. But probably within a half an hour of the ride opening, it broke down for a while, and and there was no actual wait. After that happened, there was no waiting in a regular queue anymore. Every everything certainly. Even when you got in, I think you had to go to the virtual queue thing you do through the app that you can only do when you're in the park, which kind of sucks. So you have to get into the park to be able to access the virtual queue part through the app. To put yourself, to try to get yourself a virtual boarding pass, and you get put into a group. And when your group numbers call, then you have like a couple of hours basically to to use it. So it's like a fast, it's kind of like a fast pass essentially. But then the ride opened up again, and then. And people liked it. I saw. I've I've seen the walk. The you know I've seen the videos of the ride through of it. It looks pretty impressive. That's the ride I was always looking forward to. Smuggler's Run. Uh, in case people didn't listen to my Disney thing, Smuggler's Run was more enjoyable than I thought it would be. It was, and I like. I think Batu looks nice. I think it's the, especially the corridor where all the shops are. Very very immersive, and so I think they did a good job designing it. And I think. I think the Rise of the Resistance is the ride that most people really were look, was looking forward to. I can't help but look at if you. I don't know if you've watched the video for it yet, but I just can't help but look at it and just imagine what if they had made that uh, a classic trilogy ride? What if they did all that technology and made it either an Escape from the Death Star or something or something like that, or even escape, still Escape from the Star Destroyer or whatever, and just set it in the original trilogy? How cool! Yeah, you know, how cool that'd have been. Seeing Darth Vader instead of friggin' Kylo Ren and all these different things, but. But it's into, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays as far as uh, all the problems with the uh, 
if they're going to have a lot of problems. It's a pretty advanced looking ride, and and it's an it's a unique track or de, or design. The whole ride is designed pretty uniquely, and it's and it's pretty complicated. So it's probably going to break down a lot. The question is, is it going to be one of those rides? Is it going to be one of those rides where once they get they understand it and they and they make some tweaks to it, that it it might be down, but it's only going to be down for like ten or fifteen minutes, as opposed to rides that are going to be down for like half the day or three or four hours at a time whenever it breaks down because that's going to be a problem. That will be a problem for them. That would be a night. That'll be a nightmare for them if the ride becomes perpetually unreliable. But it's cool. I think people are excited about it, and it's good. To, and that, that's going to be what that probably makes or breaks Galaxy's Edge. I would say overall, that's the ride that'll determine the overall success of that new land. Yeah, I was. Uh, I follow Variant Comics, which is a YouTube channel. Likes to do a lot of breakdowns and stuff. Very quality done. Uh, explains the origins of some characters. Sometimes explains storylines. Does some reviews on some things, stuff like that. Also follow them on Instagram. And the guy who does the Variant Comics uh, YouTube channel for the most part was there for the opening as part of the press or whatever yesterday. Uh, and the his Instagram story was all about that. But by the time I got to it, he had posted like 20 different stories about it. And like when I'm watching Instagram stories, I'm only there for like quick bits of information, not to sit there and watch through your video after video after video. Like if I want to do that, I'm going to open a streaming service or I'm going to go to YouTube. I don't want to sit there and just watch your all-day story uh, of, of video after video after video on Instagram. So I I saw he was there, but I just I skipped on through it. Well, there's 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 tons of I mean, if you want to see it, there's tons there's tons of um, videos on YouTube already of full the act of everything from the from the once you get into the ride like the first like the pre-show and everything. It's 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 it looks pre- again the ride itself does not look like it's particularly long. I don't think it's overly long, but if you watch it, it's pretty. It's pretty advanced. The animatronics are pretty advanced. They do a good job, like with the hologram and stuff. There's like a ray hologram and everything, and it actually looks like a hologram, uh, like you would see in the movie. So that's that. That's pretty neat. The track system and the way the vehicles move seems pretty cool. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I kind of felt bad that I. I knew. I mean, obviously, I didn't know when I made the reservations for this year, but I knew probably. Probably about over over the summer, I think, is when it became clear when this you know the, that this ride was not going to open to the fall. I forget when they actually announced it was going to be this this date in, for Disney World, and and it opens this and I think next in January is when it opens in uh, Disneyland. They kind of like traded off. I don't know if it was by design or just because uh, they were further behind in Disneyland with this ride. But Smuggler's Run opened up earlier in. Disneyland that in, in Orlando and now this the opposites of uh, Rise of the Resistance is opening up a month earlier in Disney World. I was I felt bad that I mi- that I missed it because this was the ride I was most interested in. I I liked Smuggler's Run. I would do Smuggler's Run again as long as the, the line is not super long. And considering the lines have not been super long to begin with, once this ride is open consistently, Rise of the Resistance, you know it's going to siphon people off probably even more. From uh, from smugglers run on a daily basis, uh, I think the virtual queue thing is just temporary. That's probably just in the beginning because I think they did something similar to that uh, with sm- uh, smugglers run. Even if they didn't do it here, 
they did well, they they had some reservation system in Disneyland, but I think that's just temporary. Uh, eventually, it'll just it'll probably just be standby, and at some point, probably I assume at some point, both those rides will probably be Fast Pass eligible. They, neither one is fa- Fast Pass eligible yet. But I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, that's there's there's a bunch of rides that are opening in, in the next year or so. I'm looking forward to that in the the, the Ratatouille ride and the the Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railroad or a ride that unfortunately replaced a great movie ride, which I loved. But that I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, hopefully maybe like in a year or so, maybe in a year if I'm lucky, I'll be able to ride this sucker myself. Cool. Trailer time. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch the Bond trailer. We don't, I was just going to say we don't have to play the Bond trailer. Yeah, the Bond but, if you, trailer. but if you didn't watch it, then we can't really discuss it. We can hold. Okay. On, we, we can hold on the Bond trailer. Let's hold, okay. Let's hold on. <clears throat> let's hold on Bond till next week, and we'll do we'll do Black Widow. Play Mr. Corwin's voicemail, which we which we could not fit in, which we've overdue on. We got to get that in. Then we'll do, then we'll jump wholeheartedly into our our issue review, which luckily won't take. Won't take a long time anyway, I don't think. Uh, so I'm gonna be the one playing, playing uh, the trailer. Yep. All right. So let, let me know when you're ready. All right, and we are on the Marvel Entertainment web uh, YouTube channel. Yep, I'm at zero. Uh, I'm at zero zero zero. Yep, my official teaser trailer. Go ahead and start. I used to have nothing. And then I got this job. This family. But nothing lasts forever. I heard you had to leave in a hurry. It's never easy these days. So what are you going to do? I've lived a lot of lives, but I'm done running from my past. I know you're out there. I know you know I'm out here. So we're going to talk like grown-ups? Is that what we are? See you too, sis. What brings you home? We have unfinished business. We have to go back to where it all started. Lucky us. One thing's for sure. It's gonna be a hell of a reunion. Still fits. Family. Back together again. You got fat. Well, it looks fun. Uh, I I like how it looks like a 
a spy slash action thriller sort of a thing. I mean, uh, if, if it, if it, you know, if it does the right balance the way Winter Soldier did, it could be popular, as popular as Winter Soldier was in terms of like, Winter Soldier wasn't really a superhero movie. It was just spy thriller that just so happened to have superheroes in it. So this could be like a super in-depth spy action movie that just so happens to take place in the Marvel Universe. I agree. I My take is this. Um, my, in- my interest in this movie has kind of always been lukewarm. Not because I don't like the character, I just – I didn't know what – I I was hard to know what we were getting out of this movie. I look at this trailer and I – I don't know if – again, it's hard to know because we don't know the entire story of what we're getting here. I don't know how – I don't think it – certainly had – seeing this trailer did not increase my interest in this movie. Let's put it that way. It's not like, oh, yeah, I was on the fence and this made me a little more confident. No. I – I like, I mean, I like her character, and I love Florence Pugh. I love Florence Pugh. When, I, when they when they cast her in this movie, I was so happy that they were going to cast her because it's just the idea of her potentially continuing down the road and being, you know, the 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 next Black Widow we get. Since we know, uh, spoiler alert, we already know Natasha's dead. Uh, that I like that idea tremendously. So, and I I, I like Florence Pugh and everything I've seen her in. So she's the part about this movie that excites me the most. I don't. I'm not. I know David Harbour is the drug of the moment, uh, but he does nothing for me. Uh, he could be funny in that role. He could be good. In, I, and Rachel Wise. I don't know about Rachel Wise either in this movie, but I like the white outfit. The white outfit was cool. I, I thought that was pretty neat. I thought the music. I thought the music was cool. I couldn't help. And this is and this is completely off point from a plot perspective, but. How the how the trailer begins, it's like, man, Scarlett Johansson is not really aging well. <laughs> I've noticed that more and more. I don't know if it's because of her lifestyle. I think she smokes or she did it. She did at one point, I believe. But, man, compared to how she looked in Iron Man 2, she's aged a lot. I would have to actually compare her. I, I, want, I was thinking this today. I really should compare how she looked in this trailer to the, the original Avengers movie. And see if there's a dramatic difference in her looking so much. And it's not, and it's not a, and it's not a sexist thing to say that because you can see. I mean, it's really easy. It's sometimes with a guy, I think it's 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 harder to notice, like from movie to movie. But then when you look from the beginning to the end, it's like, oh wow! It's like looking at Hugh Jackman. You look at Hugh Jackman from the original X Men movie to so what Apocalypse. It's like, wow, yeah, he looks complete. He's aged a lot. But it's really, but it was such a gradual effect that you don't really, you didn't really notice it from movie to movie to movie. It's only when you go back and you go from a movie that was made like 15 years earlier. It's like wow. Same thing with Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. aged a lot from let's say Infinity. You can't really count Endgame because he was playing older than he was. You know, he he was playing a character like five years in the future from where we are too. But just looking at Infinity War, Tony to Iron Man, Tony. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was a, looked a lot younger, but she. I, that's one of the things that struck me as first. It struck me first, and it struck me also even in Infinity War and stuff like that. That she's just, that, which appears to be coincidence because maybe, maybe like she was just about her features were just slowly changing as she was aging right after Iron Man two. So maybe that was like the cutoff point to when she looked. If you were going to divide people into phases of you know when they change, uh, 
I like Scarlett Johansson. I like her in this role. I I think it'll be a fun movie. I still don't know if this movie's gonna. I, you know, if, if you ask me if I think this movie's gonna be more, you know, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, or Ant Man and the Wasp, I still would say it's gonna be Ant Man and the Wasp. Because I I find it hard to believe this movie's good. But it's Marvel, and it's it, and it's going to benefit from the fact that it's the first movie since Endgame, that's uh and featuring any of the real Avengers. I know you could count Spider-Man, but it's the first Marvel movie, not Marvel, you know, not Sony Marvel movie. And plus, her character had such a memorable demise that there's going to be some sentimentality attached to it. And she was one of the original Avengers, so I think there's there's X factors that can work in the favor of this movie doing better. But I think I think I would need to see more to either feel better about seeing it or wanting to see it more, or having more confidence that this movie is going to do well, really, really well. I think it's going to, I mean, it's not, it's going to make money, but do I think it's going to be a slam dunk hit? I mean, massive hit? I think that, I think that remains to be seen. But. For sure. Hey, before we get to Corwin, I just want to, I just, did you, did you actually get to watch The Irishman yet? I haven't, no. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I was, because I, with the T-Mobile plan I have, I now have Netflix. I finally wanted to make a point, because I got to like, I got halfway through season two of Lucifer, and I was like, oh, great, now I've got Netflix, I can finish it. So I finished Lucifer. Uh, but um, Irishman is on my list, but obviously since it's a three-and-a-half-hour movie, I, I, I got to find the time to watch it. All right. Well, I, just... I, I, I don't know why. I want to do it all in one clip instead of – like breaking it up like over lunch breaks and oh, then yeah. after you, yeah you don't want to do that you 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 uh, yeah it, it i know some some people have said that it it was slow i don't think uh, personally i don't think it was i can see where they're talking where they where they're, where they're coming from on that but overall based on the subject matter especially once you get into the heart of what the story is about i think it moves pretty quickly i mean so well just answer me this was I right to be excited about it when basically at the beginning of the year when I said it was on my list of interested in all we knew were the people and like a one sentence synopsis? I would say this is my take. This is my take without going into specifics. And once you watch it, then we can then we can talk about it. And as far as I'm concerned, once you watch it, even if it's before next week, we can talk some spoilers about it because this movie is going to be already out on Netflix for you know multiple weeks at this point. Um, but by the time we we do it, I think it's I think the movie is good. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's you know I certainly would not put it in the upper echelon of things that I've seen that Scorsese has done. I don't think it, other than the de aging technology. I don't think it raises the bar in a way that we haven't seen before. My personal opinion from a performance perspective, the only performance of the big three that I thought stood out was Joe Pesci. And when you watch it, you maybe understand versus because of the character that he plays. Everybody, Pacino, I think, is being the way Pacino has been in, in the latter stages of his career. And De Niro is kind of I, – I think De Niro in a way kind of is like sleepwalking through this. I don't think his performance is particularly impre- – it's nothing unique about his performance. Gotcha. Uh, but but Pesci, Pesci – I'm sorry, but Pesci stands out in this because of, of, of the character that he's playing. And again, without giving too much away, when you see it, you'll know what I mean because it's not what you – it's different. And that's why you get a, you get a 
you get to realize how good an actor Joe Pesci is because of the role that he plays in this movie. Speaking of Netflix, have you seen Klaus? No, it, uh, it is. I, I, I'm trying to remember if I added it to my queue or I just keep seeing it in, in, in the what's new or what's popular. No, I have not. I have not seen seen that yet. I've seen it twice now. It's amazing. That's cool. It's incredible. It's a great, great Christmas movie. I they, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody because I think everybody should watch Klaus. Like absolutely. Um, uh, I think I, for for a minute there I was worried like because they're they're sort of treating it like a Santa origin film, right? And you're like, okay, because of how they do it, you're like, okay, well, but how are we going to get to the mystical part of it? Like, you know, flying reindeer and him being magic and all of this. Like, how are we going to get to that point? And then they do it in this way where you're like, oh, they're going to, it's going to be really sad. Oh no, here it comes. And then you're just like, oh, of course they do it that way. That's perfect. Uh, and, and yeah, it's it's uh, you, you guys, you'll know what I mean when you see it. Watch Klaus. I this is this is another movie I mentioned um, at the beginning of this year when we did movies we're looking forward to in the coming year. Klaus was one I mentioned, but remember it was a, it was just like a weird trailer at that point, like a I don't know a, a, a maybe one minute animated teaser trailer or something. Right. Yeah. So like. I, I I don't know why I, I thought it was coming out sooner than it actually was because it, it was a Christmas movie so I don't know I don't know why I would have thought it would have would have come out sooner than now um, but yeah I just, it, this isn't this isn't like a like a Venom sort of I called it thing or a spy, into the Spider Verse I called it thing this is just I did mention Klaus uh, and I man it just exceeded all expectations i was i was just curious about it and the animation style looked cool early this year and all of that uh and i was like yeah i'm definitely gonna based on this i'm definitely you know i'm excited for it. i'm gonna see it but i wasn't like i'm gonna defend this movie but man it, it's just so good you guys really my my brother-in-law after we got through watching it because you know it was uh my sister was working from home that day uh and my brother-in-law was home so it was a Friday. I'm always off on Fridays. I went over to the house and just hung out. And so we were just playing Netflix, you know, off and on during the day, doing other things as well. And at one point we were just like, what do we watch? I was like, we should watch Klaus. And they, they did the, you know, when you hover over it and it plays a little preview on Netflix, they did that. Oh, that was cool. So we played it. And after we got done, my brother-in-law went, man, that's already in my top five favorite holiday movies. <laughs> so it's, it's really good. I will definitely give that a shot. I was pl- I'm planning on watching it. There's a lot of things that popped up holiday themed wise that I that I want to watch. Uh, I haven't watched a whole lot yet, but I will I will definitely get to that this month and hopefully and I'll and when I do I'll I will be sure to let you know what I think. All right, Corwin's voicemail. Yep, let me get let's get ready. Um doo, doo, doo. as this episode comes out, we got this voicemail exactly a month ago. <laughs> yeah, you're right, the sixth. That is true. And to be I and mean, to be fair, based on the themes of the of the episodes, we you know, we and it's because some of them have gone longer and everything else, we didn't get it 
if we apologize. We should have played. We should have played this earlier. We actually did think about playing it last week, but we knew we were gonna. We knew it was gonna be a long episode, so it just didn't seem to. Even though I guess yeah. it, you know, I guess we could have began the episode with it. That probably would have been the appropriate thing to do. But all right, let me get let me get ready to to cue this up. And here we go. Hey guys, it's Corwin. Just calling to say what's up. Um, I got, I think you guys just dropped an episode which I'm about to tune into. But of course, I'm on the road and then uh, thinking about Grant Morrison's run on the Green Lantern and wondering what your thoughts were. Considering we got All Star Superman from Grant Morrison, which I loved. His Batman run, I loved. Never read his Earth One Wonder Woman, so um, give me your thoughts on that if you guys have read it. But then now stacking up his The Green Lantern run compared to those other two, three, I kind of find it lacking. I think I did expect a bit more out of it to kind of blow my socks off as he did with the other said characters. So what are your thoughts on that, um, how he did on the first 12 issues? And also your thoughts on that Wonder Woman Earth 1, I think it was. All right, just something, uh, some conversation. So hit me with your thoughts. Talk to you guys later. Bye. I never read um, Earth One Wonder Woman. I have the first two volumes of uh, Superman Earth One and Batman Earth One. I, I do plan on getting all the, the Earth Ones. Uh, I have, obviously, Green Lantern Earth One. I don't yet, nor have I read the Wonder Woman Earth One or the other one, I think, was Titans. Have they done another? So Superman, Batman... Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Titans, and wasn't there one other one that they were doing? <sighs> there might be, but off the top of my head, I'm not thinking which one it I'm, is. I'm it. Uh, I, 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 yeah, but I have not read Wonder Woman or Titans. I think there's uh, three volumes of Batman and three volumes of Superman, but I've only read the first two of each. Um, I only own the first two of each, so yeah. Let's see, Batman, Green Lantern, Superman, Teen Titans, Wonder Woman. Well, that's it, huh? That's what it shows. That's that's what the Wiki, Wikipedia page shows, which of course is not necessarily the the only you know the most accurate thing. But that was the first thing I clicked on. I'm trying to make sure I don't click on something that could be a video, and it's going to start playing crap in the background automatically. Um, it does look like that's what it looks like. Um, let's take a look at. Comic Vine. Uh, what does it say? Superman, Batman, Teen Titans, Wonder Woman. Yeah, and obviously that was before. I think that was before Green Lantern. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think that that could, that might be it. Let's see. Yeah, because twenty according to this, twenty eighteen we had Green Lantern Earth One Volume One, which we of course we we did and in, interviewed, and then Wonder Woman Earth One Volume Two, but yes, Grant Morrison. So yes, neither one of us can really talk about the uh, Grant Morrison's run on that on Wonder Woman. Uh, I'm sorry, I was mistaken. There's only two Batman Earth ones, three Superman Earth ones. Yep. Yeah. All by Straczynski, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's two Titans. No, just no. the one. No, there's two. There's two Titans. Volume one and volume oh. two. Yeah. 2014, 2016. Hmm. According to this, there are. Hopefully we get another Green Lantern one. I'd, I'd be looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, there must be two because I see two covers. Um, it's number one and number two. So, 
Yeah, uh, it's in- well, it's kind of interesting if Corwin seems to be a relatively thumbs up guy and Morrison, and yet he thinks the Green Lant- the Green Lantern run has been lacking. So I find that I find that in not necessarily surprising, but I find that interesting that he is of that ilk of that or of that opinion. Um. Yeah, he said he was. Uh, he said he was uh, uh, driving while thinking about Morrison. You're not supposed to take drugs and uh, operate machinery. The colors, man, the colors. Hang on, when the hell did they announce Green Lantern Earth One Volume Two? Available for pre-order. This item will be available June 9th, 2020. Yeah, I didn't hear that either. Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart must team up to save the last Green Lantern Guardian from an evil force. What in the hell? When the hell did they announce this? Yeah, that's 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 um yeah. Let's see. What did you say? June 9th. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just. I'm trying. It's. Oh, here, I'm on Blogavoa. Um, Myron posted his article on November 17th, so it wasn't no, that it wasn't, long ago. It wasn't that long. So, let's see. Uh, it says there's, uh, he says the, the first sentence is, while there's been no formal announcement from DC Comics. Okay. But there's a cover, though, right? There's a cover. But it says not final cover, which I doubt, but whatever. Because it looks yeah, it cool. Does. He kind of looks like Captain America there. Yeah. Um, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart must team up to save the last Green Lantern Guardian from an evil force. Manhunters, alien rings, a- alien races, rings of power. It's a lot for the people of Earth to absorb, especially when an interplanetary incident forces their protector, Hal Jordan, to leave on a rescue mission that results in the discovery that they're there's a new player in the galaxy, Yellow Lanterns. While they seem a benign force for peace, Jordan can't get can't get comfortable with how much power they wield or their bizarre lockstep behavior. When fellow Earthling John Stewart ends up with a yellow ring, he and Hal must work together to confront the being who destroyed the original Green Lantern Corps, the last surviving guardian. That's Krona based on the end of that of volume one. Uh, Karina Becco and uh, Gabriel Hardman feature two of the most famous DC characters, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart, like you've never seen them before. Sounds like fun. For sure. I'm really looking forward to that now. You, you heard it live, folks. <laughs> this is this wasn't planned or scripted. We've, we discovered that information live on air. <laughs> Probably much more compelling than what we're about to <laughs> delve into. <laughs> And that's why I'm not elaborating much on what uh, what Corwin said because this does dovetail nicely into uh, you know kind of commentary on this issue. Uh, so Corwin, look for my thoughts on what Morrison's done, uh, what Morrison has done or is doing, uh, following uh, Mark's little short recap of what happens here. So now that we're rolling into Green Lantern, Black Stars, Numero Dos. I, I'm going to do my best to be succinct, not just because we've already been recording for a while, but because that was always the plan, and because, in all honesty, the, 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 while there's a lot of it's, it's Morrison, so there's always a lot of stuff that's going on in the issue. But the basic plot, the basic summary of what's happening in the issue, is not overly complex this time. 
the, uh, the the major developments or plot points in this issue are relatively straightforward. Um, I I actually have the physical issue. I did get my comics today, so I chose the issue with Hal and and Belzebeth holding hands, attacking the Justice League. I find it interesting of why they drew Hal with the, his Green Lantern Domino mask on. I, th- I thought that yeah. was, that's kind of a screw up. I, well, or it's just for it. Maybe it's not a screw up. It's foreshadowing. You know, like maybe it's just nothing more than foreshadowing what's going to happen in uh, in the next in the next issue. Gee, should we, I'm just looking at this now. Should we talk about should we should we talk about the interview in the back of this issue? No. You want to wait on want to wait on that then? Yeah, that's fine. Because I, I just know, and all honesty, I just noticed it now. I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it. Because I'd read this, I had read this, I read the digital, and then, I, and I just happened to get the physical copy today. Um, all right, so this issue is a hole in the sky. Grant Morrison, writers, so Manico, artist, Steve Olaf, colorist, Steve Wands, litterer, Liam Sharp, cover, Derek Robertson and Diego Rodriguez did the variant cover, Jessica Chan, associate editor, and Brian Cunningham, editor. Um, we, we pick up on the Black Star flagship with Hal and Belzebeth having their conversation. Hal has just come back from his trip to Earth, which, which, uh, we, that's kind of where we left Hal. He was hovering above the United States about to descend in the last issue. And, we get a we get a whole lot of uh, backstory, a lot of information thrown about how 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 in, how this Earth is all screwed up, how things keep changing, De- you know, dead characters keep coming back, they keep they keep changing, you know, Batman, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of funny how Batman gets the you know the crap the crappy end of the stick on some level with everything that's going down, um, like Bat he's he's under siege and all all this stuff and and there's still that part of how like the last issue where Hal is like he's kind of going along with the program but yet there's that part of Hal that knows that there's something screwy about all, all this he's still basically haunted by memories of an earth of a, of a world and a universe that doesn't that doesn't exist anymore and but he knows that it did even though she tries to tell him multiple times I think in these issues that oh no 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 there wasn't that it so we we kind of see a broken bat signal over over Gotham and Batman's you know Batman just uh, it's like oh my god not again and we see what happened when Hal was hovering over the Earth. Superman, you know, went to go to, to go talk to him, and Superman is just—he's basically telling you what a shit show this planet has been, and, and and he's kind of fed up with the two, and he's even kind of acknowledging maybe you were kind of right to jump ship Hal when you did, though he doesn't really call him Hal. Uh, but we just get a whole—we just get a whole lot of background of, of what a mess this mess this this world is. And I like the fact when Hal kind of refers to the fact, which is kind of a shot at the, at the DCU as a whole too, the fact that how how this Earth is always changing, and the and, and the incarnations of the heroes are always changing because Hal referenced the fact that hey, like the last time I saw you, you were wearing like jeans and a T-shirt, which unfortunately refers to that very un, what the what the new Fifty Two Super that was, was it the new Fifty Two Superman? Yeah, but the new Fifty Two Action Comics. Yeah, that's right. Because the other one had the like the the blue underwear Superman. That was the other new Fifty. But yes, the wasn't that also that was also Morrison, wasn't it? Pro- I think it might have been. It would it would make sense because as typical, a lot of the things that are referenced in this in this book are have ties to things Morrison has done before, and. <clears throat> You know, Hal's trying to convince Superman this is the, you know, that basically the, the Black Star way is the way to go. Superman's resisting. It's like, no, I, you know, I'm just, 
I, you know, I'm just not going to give into that. It's interesting how he talks about, you know, it's like we fought the Manhunter army and the Sun Eater and everything else, and it's like, but, you know, but I'm not going to lose my son. He's talking about Jonathan, you know, to to Muse, uh doctrine. We find the the sun basically is turning orange, not yellow. So we assume because it's orange, it's kind of hinted at that maybe it's transitioning to to a red sun, and maybe not uh, accidentally. How it kind of brushes it off is just a a fallout from the Sun Eater being and it, the damage it did. You know, in, in our final night, obviously, is what it's referring to. Though things went differently. Uh, we're at the what the hall the hall of justice where there's a lot of people protesting. We have a, we have it looks like Jessica and Simon as black stars kind of telling Hal that, you know, uh, pretty much there's nothing we can do that they're not willing to play ball. John, it, John is kind of fed up with the, with the current status quo and the way the world is, and he, and he kind of wants to join the Black Stars and 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 Hal. Superman re- refuses, and he, and, he, and he kind of makes it clear that you know if uh, if if I see you or your zealots, you know, within like ten light years of my son, it, you know, it's it's all out war, and that's when Hal and the Black Stars take off, and that and we catch back up again on uh, the Black Star flagship. We kind of see some of the weird crap that's going on on. Uh, in Gotham with, with Batmanson, that's that's really freaky. Um, but we kind of get we 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 get basically Belzebeth's origin story, which is pretty well, which is somewhat interesting, but very that dominates this issue. She's the main character in this issue. I don't know about you, but the part that stood out for me was when she, when she un, unfortunately mentioned Mandrak, which just gave me shivers because that that's, that was the vampire that just basically. That showed up in like the last issue of Final Crisis when the whole <clears throat> the whole series is about Darkseid, and then then this is the guy that you got to take out in the final issue was the vampire that like dark that dark monitor become vampire became vampire Mandrake. Um, I knew that I knew the name look was familiar, so I had to I just made sure I was right, and it's like yes. So we got to get this whole art. We, we find out that basically Bell you know Belzebeth was in this torturous marriage to another vampire, and. Basically, Mu is the one that you know. Eventually, he found her. He healed all her wounds. He gave her purpose, and she became basically she became <clears throat> his ultimate disciple. And she was the one who helped bring a lot of his um, visions to re- to reality. Now we have she continues to talk to Hal about their you know their upcoming marriage and and, and everything else. And I like the fact that she talks about the one thing that she they always feared was the controllers. I thought that was kind of interesting, and contrasting that with Mu, who basically is the renegade controller, so she kind of had, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. That's how she ended up basically coming into his service and him healing her, and I guess they're going to be married on on the temple on, on Oa, and meanwhile, you know, we see Mongol, who now has been basically turned into a a black star, but it's something, you know. But he kind of like freaks out, and he's dealing with this planet, and he keeps saying, "I am, I am Moo, I am Moo." And during this conversation, they end up standing Hal and Belzebeth in, or in front of Moo, and he starts having issues speaking, and he starts stuttering and stammering, and all of a sudden, basically, uh, you know, while, while Mongols doing Mongols doing his thing, uh, controlling Moo, pretty much just uh, he pretty much just his fault. He just falls over, and he, and he's gone. And it's like, oh, Mu has ascended. You know, he's basically become, he's taking his, you know, his vow is like being a non-being literally. And the master, the master's consciousness, consciousness was burning through host bodies faster than we could grow it. His signal was degrading 
for the good of our movement, for the sake of all hopes of, you know, I had to do it. And meanwhile, now she has the she has the Green Lantern ring she's taken from his from one of the one of the, the Moo body's hands there. And Hal recognizes it as like the last fragment of the other world, the Green Lantern. There was another world before this, and she says there is no other world, which makes no sense. But and then we hear all of a sudden, this is Superman. We have you surrounded, and and Belzebeth is she kind of figures out that Hal, you know, Hal must be involved in something, and he goes, well, I, you know, I couldn't let you just eat my home planet, you know, I just, I, I just couldn't. So I had to think of something. It's like, so guess what? It's like I started a war, and, and Hal points or, or motions behind him, and who does he have standing next to him? It's Jonathan Kent. So obviously he violated that Superman's little threat. A warning there, and that's why Superman is basically t- taking the war to them as this issue ends. <clears throat> so, the art is cool. Yes. Still, yes. still, still, we're doing some great stuff there. The panel with Belzebeth meeting Moo and like in being imbued with his power. The backgrounds, a lot of the stuff with the the vampire wedding. There's Lestat, my boy, right there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of references. Um, you know, the the vampire stuff. With uh, Vorlock, you guys can look it all yeah. up. I'm tired of doing research yeah. for this fucking hey, bullshit. I'm Morpheus sorry. Is still there too, in the, in the back on the right, it looks like. Yeah, there's a ton of cool stuff. Um, I, 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 another thing I like uh, is that uh, Morrison is essentially calling out DC in one of DC's own publications. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was that was not very subtle, and it's but it's interesting that they're just the, the constant rebooting and changing of the Earth and, and of, of the worlds and what's the status quo. And yes, the fact that there are there that that both everybody's doing it. Superman's doing it himself in a way, but the fact that Hal literally calls him out on his, on. On it, it's like weren't you, like you look weren't you like wearing jeans and a t-shirt the last time I saw you? So yeah, that was that. I thought that was amazing too. Yeah, so he's like Superman's like things are a mess. I admit we're struggling to change with the times, and there are important 21st century superhero mental health issues that need to be dealt with before we can actually help people. And it's like, and then even Wonder Woman, he goes into this right. explanation, and it's showing her castrating a monitor. Yes. <laughs> I'm all for direct engagement with contemporary issues. I'm there in principle. Diana swapped lasso and bracelets for a sword and shield, and that's another you know qualm some people have with the modern era. Um, and he's talking about uh, – and he almost does like a parody on himself. Like he's making fun of himself sort of because in this new universe he's created so – you know. Uh, Black Star Parallax asks Superman, like, what's the Justice League been up to? And, he's, and Superman says, wrapped up in interminable battles with ever more gargantuan, more primordial, and above all, more anthropomorphic cosmic <laughs> super non-entities. Every month, it seems, these hyper-creatures or their close relatives attack from some hitherto unsuspected, barely thought-out region of this depresso-verse scientists have discovered. So, like, he morrisoned up the idea of the shitty DCU that we have now in terms of the depression. Like people are thinking like, you know, the DCU is too dark. It doesn't need to be this dark, that sort of thing. So he like, he put his own Morrison spin on the depressing angle of the way DC currently is and somehow made it a parody of both himself and the DCU as it exists. So that was all cool. So I'm I'm just trying to get all these positive things out there, guys. I do like the art. I do like, you know, kind of 
the 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 making fun of and the jabbing at your own publisher while you're publishing a book on in their line. Um, I do like you know some of the the stuff. Another thing I do like about this before I move on is I like this story within itself. It's okay. It's you know I'm getting it. I'm following it. That's cool. Um, but that's not the reality of this situation. This book, if it were just these one to three issues as a mini series by itself on its own, isn't it, it, it would be fine. It's not really that, and you can call it seasons and stuff. And because they call it seasons, I'll end up calling it seasons. Mark, I know, is going to go to his grave, <laughs> never, never actively referring to them as seasons. I know. <laughs> but I want to touch upon. I want to touch upon that once we get done with this. We are we are getting this series in place of a Green Lantern series. So regardless of whether you call it seasons, this is technically issue 14 of the Morrison Green Lantern series. And none of these three issues that are being told in this Black Star mini arc are going to matter in season two. When you give me a book, I know I'm sure Morrison will find a way to have some aftermath being dealt with in season two or some, you know, psychosomatic results in Hal's memories or, or whatever. I'm sure some, in some way Morrison's going to figure out a way that there's some threads of this that are carried on into season two. But when I am reading a book and I'm largely convinced and to beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm reading is not going, not, not only not going to matter soon, but not going to matter like two issues from now, then that just irritates me. Yes. I think that's some – because, I mean, ultimately, we we know how this is – I mean, give or take. We know how this is pro- – in all likelihood, we know how this is going to end, that either on his own or via a trigger, Hal's going to remember that it, he was the missing piece of what the wish machine or whatever the hell they call it, that without him – that Moo's vision of that universe couldn't have existed. He's going to remember that he was the one who helped will it into existence. He's going to unwill it into existence and bring back everything that was by using the Green Lantern ring and his own willpower, which is a nice testament to how powerful Hal is in his will. But, you know, with some variation on that in all likelihood is how this is going to resolve itself. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm a – I thought about this today, and I know it's a really minor point. But, but I think it's it's, it's relevant. I, this whole the reason one of the reasons why I'm reluctant to embrace this season bullshit is because of the fact that it goes completely against everything that's existed before, and it's really kind of arrogant or self-serving. But it's also but it's a way of but it just shows you how if we how easily led people are. It's like oh this is what we're calling this now. This is the proper thing to you know whether you want to view it as a form as political correctness that concept or just be or just a lemmingness aspect of we're told this is what we have to call this now. So instead of saying why, it's like oh yeah, we're we're just gonna call it season one. It's stupid. It it it's 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 stupid, and it's just the fact that everybody just. Im- I'm not saying everybody is, but I'm saying if we all just embrace this and this becomes the norm, why? Because one one guy decides to do this, or one. Co- it's not a season. It's a. But the reality is, yeah, 
besides, okay, if it's going to be a season, shouldn't it be a whole year? Shouldn't it be a full? Shouldn't it be twelve issues be one season? Then it's going to be twelve. Then it's going to be another season. And if you and if it's going to be a season like a TV show, then you take a break between one season and the beginning of the next. You don't. You if you're going to write a if you're going to still write three issues of a book, then you're really not taking a break. Then why not just begin the second season? "Quote unquote." The magic word, the second year. This is what this is not. This is not horrible, like you said. The reality is, it's straight. It's straight forward. Um, and it's and it's it's better Morrison on that level because it's not this convoluted. What the hell is going on? Let me go look up. There's 75 names thrown at me in this issue. Let me go look them up. You kind of understand what's going here. Belzebeth is probably the most interesting character that came out of the, her, his first year on this book. And once you get her background, which is relatively sympathetic, it makes more sense. It makes it kind of ups the ante there. But it's like I don't, I don't care about Moo much. I mean, we never, we haven't really gotten as much time with Moo really to understand. I mean, we got hints about who he is. But it's not like we have anything really invested in caring about, you know, his vision or his image. There's no, there's no conflict, you know. There's no Magneto, Doctor Doom, Parallax thing where you could say, well, maybe he's right in what he's doing. It's kind of harder to really believe that based on what based on what we've seen. And it's also, as and you and I talked about this before. You go back to the end of the Venditti era. And now we're dealing with this. For like the last two friggin' years, we've been dealing with Black Stars or Dark Stars and Controllers. So for, for the people who were, kind of felt that way about the emotional spectrum, I'm kind of at that point now. Even though there's variations on the theme here, I'm kind of sick of seeing Black Stars and Dark Stars and Controllers. Because that's, that's all we've been dealing with in one shape, way, shape, or form for like the last 24 issues of Green Lantern. Not counting the annual that we've gotten and things like that. So it's okay. I'm just... It it's it just seems like it's a it's a it's a big waste. It's a waste, like you said. It doesn't it's it's not going to mean anything. Even though you know Morrison will do something, he'll pick up on some aspect of this somewhere. If he depending how long he stays on the book, but it still doesn't make it. I mean, overly enjoyable. Yeah, um, I guys, I I'm sorry, I'm not. I, I look. I meant everything I said positive about it. I still stand by that. I still did enjoy the issue for what it was within the three issues that it's being told. But the the it's it's the it sounds dumb, but it's the principle of the thing that is that is overriding my enjoyment of it because it's just pointless. And that is irritating to me. I I it's almost a catch twenty two as well because like so I'm I'm reading this this uh, this question series the death of Vic Sage or whatever and that's supposed to be I think three issues uh, prestige format sort of a thing and I know it's not like those three issues are going to impact the rest of the DCU but that's also not pitched to me as an ongoing so yes I'm okay with minis that mean nothing to the larger DCU I get it. But this is not a mini. This is not a standalone mini. We are getting this in place of and a what is a part of, I don't care what you call it or what number you slap on the cover, as a part of, in place of, the ongoing Green Lantern series. It is 
Green Lantern number 14 that we just reviewed, or the Green Lantern number 14 that we just reviewed, and three issues of this series are not going to matter to the bookends of 12 on either side. And what would make it... What would make this even worse would be if this, and we kind of talked about this with Dan's question, that the idea that this could be the, this could be the norm for Morrison, if however long he stays on this book, is like, oh, I'll I'll do twelve issues, then I'm going to go off and do a three issue mini before I come back and do the next you know next twelve issues, and it's like, okay, now it's depending on what kind of mini it was, I might not be so this this was so odd because it's like because it's almost like it's an Elseworld story. It's, it's you know yeah. it's like it's a it's an it's an else world story with people being cognizant that it's an that it's an else world that's kind of what it's like and it's it's doesn't I just don't see the <sighs> if you wanted to take if you wanted to take three issues in between seasons and just be like look here's a tale of the core mini here's what was happening in the Green Lantern Corps while I was telling you this story for the past year. Fan fucking tastic. Bring it on. Morrison, go ape shit. Pick a lantern that already exists or expand on the mythology of one or just fucking make something up. It's the Green Lantern Corps, man. We have a fucking sentient math equation as a Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps. Morrison the shit out of the Green Lantern Corps. <laughs> have some fun, man. Just go bananas. It is built for you, Morrison. Just Turn it loose. But that's not what's happening. It's just, yeah, I'm sorry. I've already gone off about it, and I don't want to go off on it so much that it it seems like all I think of is negative because I clearly did say some several positive things about this, and I do mean and want those to stick. But, yeah. There's so many other things you could do with this break between seasons that – would be a better use of my time as a Green Lantern fan, investing money, time, effort, whatever, to read these. And, and you know, you could tell tales of the core and you could tell, you know, a story of uh, another Lantern on Earth doing their thing. You could, I don't know, do a Carol Ferris thing. I, I don't there's so many other things that could be happening. But this this is just like this it's a it's a waste and that's that's all i can say is is it's it's not going to matter and it pisses me off no i get it i i i i do agree i think it's and the sad part is i think there probably is a there could be a story that could be interesting here and it, it obviously would be a lot more interesting if it was just part of like we said if like you said if it was just green the Green Lantern 13, the Green Lantern 14, as opposed to making it. Oh, it's got to be this. It's got to be this mini. It's got to be this uh, Green La- Green Lantern Dark Stars and uh, Black Stars, and it's like, uh, uh, but their own little font and the little logo and everything, which probably means we'll be seeing them again. Not that we haven't not seen them since this book started, but no, I I that's, I agree. I think it's. It's certainly not helping the enthusiasm factor when it comes to reviewing this book and looking forward to it every month. Uh, 
Bring on Far Sector Number Two. At least, at least right now, Far Sector Number Two is more in, is more intriguing. Even, even, even if part of that intrigue is because of questions that that Dan helped put into my head. Now that I'm thinking about, <laughs> but because we, it's such a complete unknown. Because the whole status quo is something that we're not used to. The everything in that seems to be a non Green Lantern like. In many ways, and not the, not a, a universe or a world that we're used to dealing with, that it's intriguing. It doesn't mean it's going to continue to be intriguing, but it is for now. So yes, of of, of the two books, of the two books, I'm more looking forward to far to, to next Far Sector than I am for this. Just like I got to be honest, looking at the solicits, and Jim brought this to my attention. I'm more interested in uh. The Justice League arc that's gonna that's gonna begin soon that has the Eradicator in it because it has the Eradicator in it and Robert Venditti is writing it too, even though Jim was kind of funny. It's like oh hey Robert Venditti's writing this arc too. It's like uh, it's like uh, you, you can go read it and watch him ruin another one of your favorite characters. <laughs> but she was kind of kidding around about. It. I think that was a parallax reference to you know, but um but the reality is yeah I'm I'm probably gonna pick up that arc because I love. I love the Eradicator. I prefer the good Eradicator, but I'll take as long as he kind of looks like the Reign of the Superman Eradicator. I can I I can read Bad Eradicator. I'm I'm okay with it. But I'm more interested in that than I am in in Green Lantern. It's 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 unfor it's unfortunate. It's just I really hope it turns around. I really do because this is tough. This is tough. Well, we actually have we actually have something else that we can review. Have you been hearing or keeping up with even tangentially anything related to the six issue mini Batman Universe series? No, I don't think so. So it's really good. Uh, I really enjoy the art, but um, there's a lot of like Batman in space sort of a thing. But there's this central mystery sort of around this Fabergé egg thing. And um, since we may talk about it on the show, should I, should I spoil it? I might as well. If you just, because it's a deciding factor on whether or not we're going to actually cover it. Um, turns out within this Fabergé egg is a ring, a white lantern ring. And you find that out towards the, the end of the series. But how Jordan features prominently in the second half of, of or second or, or third third of issue uh, three features prominently in issue four. The whole issue six is about the wrap up and in, in uh, intricacies of what's happening with the White Lantern Ring, and obviously the end of five is the reveal of the White Lantern Ring. So we've got Green Lantern Hal Jordan in this. It's a cool Batman story. It ends on a White Lantern note. Like, if any Batman mini was worthy of being reviewed on this show, I think Batman Universe might be it. I don't think it would be something if we were to do this. I don't think it would be something that we would have to do like an issue by issue thing, but we could maybe treat it like a trade and just talk about it. But I, 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 I it's I, I can definitely put the give you the issues, but. Uh, just so you can flip through and see, but I I think we should talk about it. If it, but if if not, regardless of what we decide, guys, if you've been reading Batman Universe and keeping up with the Lantern stuff, definitely let us know what you think about it. Um, because uh, I definitely want to at least kind of touch on it, even if it's just like, hey, here's what happened. 
not even like a trade level recap or anything like that. And uh, if you want to go pick it up, sort of thing, which I guess I'm kind of doing now. But no, it sounds it it conceptually sounds interesting enough where yeah, I'd be on board for that. And the, the the art is who's the artist? It's almost got a Tim Sale esque look to it. Um, but. But not not 100%. Maybe you can look it up online and tell me what you think artistically. Um, just Batman Universe um, is the name of the series. Uh, who is the artist? Um, so it's written by Bendis. Uh, art by Nick Darrington. Dave Stewart, colorist, Josh Reed, letterer, Brittany Holzer, associate editor, Jamie S. Rich, editor. Yeah. Is Nick Darrington like the artist all the way through? Let me check issue four. <laughs> yeah, but the issue with him and Hal Jordan, uh, it, it's them ending up in the Old West with Jonah Hex. <laughs> so that's freaking cool, too. Yeah, that's sort of, Jonah Hex is always good once in a while here and there. But yeah, um, did you see any there? Does that does that remind you of Tim Sale a little bit? Maybe a little. I'm I'm, I'm kind of look I'm looking at a, a review of looks like number six or some art from number six. It looks like there's lots of cool splash pages in here. Um, I I really like the art, man. Like I was looking at a couple of the the splash pages throughout the series. Uh, and I was like, man, I want that as a phone wallpaper. Like, you know, that's that's how good it is. Um, if I was still the type of person to get, like, posters and put them on my wall, a couple of these would be runners-up if I saw them as posters. But these days, if I put a poster on my wall, it's like a – like, for instance, my Ragman poster of the 1993-94 series. Um, those posters that they give comic book shops. Right. Those classic posters I put on my wall, but they're in frames behind glass. <laughs> uh, I have one I want to put up in the same frame, in, in the same side type of frame I have my Ragman poster in, which is an Infinity Ink poster. Um, so I don't think I, I don't think there's any modern stories I would put up a poster for, but classic stuff like Infinity Ink or Ragman, classic uh, you know advertisement posters that they gave comic shops back in the day. Those are kind of my jam for wall art now. No, I, I I get it. I have one I got off of eBay a long time ago. Actually, I should I should have him sign it one of these days. I have a uh, an, an Emerald Twilight promo poster. So I, sh- I have a I have a Green Lantern. Is it seventy six? Is that one? No. Which 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 issue? Kyle Kyle coming out of the battery. Kyle coming out of the battery. You mean when they when he restarted it? No, no, no. So the cover the cover of the comic was Kyle flying out of the battery. I think I know what you mean, but but I'm not 100 percent sure enough to be able to place what issue number was. I got it. Uh, save photos. I want to get Daryl to sign that before I frame it. Uh, it's the same size as the the Ragman and the Infinity Ink poster. Um, but uh, I'm sending it to you on Facebook Messenger now. 
but it's got all kinds of like text and stuff on it. Uh, you know, like the Green Lantern logo and by Ron Mars and Daryl Banks and all this stuff, you know, in stores, blah, blah, blah. But, oh, yeah, uh, it's that. It's one. that- Oh yeah. yeah, it's coming out of the battery. Ba- I'm thinking power battery. That's why I'm central power battery. That's why it's throwing me off. But yes, I I, rem- I do remember that 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 is a cool piece of piece of art. Yeah, so I've got I've got three classic comic story sort of uh, you know comic comic shop advertisement posters and the Ragman series, the Infinity Inc series, and then the Kyle Rayner one. So those. Those are going to be a trifecta I put up on the wall, but I'm not I'm not going to bother getting the Kyle Rayner one framed until I can get Daryl and Ron to sign it. <sighs> All right, well we've been recording for a while. You want to tell people how they can reach us? Yeah, yeah. One second. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have been recording a while. Uh, lanterncast at gmail.com. Website is lanterncast.com. Uh, our voicemail is 708lantern. Uh, let us know what you think. You can follow us on Twitter. Use hashtag geocast to locate us on that and like us on Facebook. Um, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, we are on both of those platforms. So pl- if you listen to us on either one of those, please leave us a positive review. I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's that should be it. What's uh, what's next, Apple? Do we, do we know? No, I don't think we know yet. Uh do we? Maybe Batman Universe. Go buy the issues. You won't regret it anyways. <laughs> I, I said maybe. I didn't say it was, guys, but could be. You never know. It's a good It's a good story. Cool art. Go get it. <laughs> Listen to Uncle Chad, folks. <laughs> and buy the shit out of that Alan Scott pop. Yeah, because we want more. And for no other reason. <laughs> Not that there, this is the only reason, but even if you didn't feel compelled to do it because you love Alan Scott more than anybody else, do it. Use it as an investment and a motivating factor for them to make more Green Lantern pops. <laughs> you know what? I'm fine with I'm fine with whatever message they end up getting from that thing selling out. Either A, more prominently, more Green Lantern stuff. B, more JSA stuff. Or C, more DC stuff. <laughs> Because they they seem to be focusing a lot on like anime and Marvel and Star Wars and stuff lately, and the DC stuff is like trickling out. That is like one every now and then, but like that's like there's like six My Hero Academia or four My or Dragon Ball Z or like three or four different Marvel ones, like the the, the Christmas variants. The Thanos in the Christmas sweater, the the Groot with the Christmas lights on it, the Captain America snowman, like, my God, <laughs> they do so much Marvel, Star Wars, uh, Dragon Ball Z, My Hero Academia, all these anime ones, it's just like, and DC is just like, and here's this one, and here's this one, and uh, it, they're few and far between, so what, whatever message they get from selling out of this Alan Scott pop, is good in my uh, in my mind. It's going to be either more DC pops, more JSA pops, or more Green Lantern pops. And either way, I'm fine. <laughs> I would concur. It's a worthwhile investment. Yeah, for sure. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.